0: Welcome to Talking TRM, the Travel Risk Management podcast. I'm Bex Dedman and I'm an independent consultant specialising in ISO 31030. During my transition from corporate travel to travel risk, I have met some incredible individuals driving travel risk management forward with passion and expertise. On this podcast, I'm going to chat with them about their stories and hopefully inspire our listeners to start their own travel risk management journey. Hello and welcome to another episode of Talking TRM. My name is Bex Dedman, also known as Travel Risk Bex. And today it's my honour to welcome my guest, James Lawrence, owner and founder of Peregrine Risk Management, um, and who will be referred to as Jim for the rest of this call. Jim, how are you? It's lovely to see you.
1: I'm very good and thank you very much for inviting me to this uh, this, uh, webinar today. I'm so excited about talking about travel risk, as you can see.
0: I know just for the viewers that didn't see what happened off screen he danced his way into this today so if there was ever any doubt that Jim's the person we need to be talking to um and he loves travel risk in case you can see his name there for those of you looking on the video um so he's the perfect person for us to, to to join what we're up to so we had um a session with me and Jess which is the session that everyone should listen to before they start listening to these podcasts because it will kind of explain a little bit about what we're doing. But in theory, it's a quick, short, sharp session of about 15 minutes where I get to talk to some of the most incredible people that I've met within this industry uh, as I've moved and done the transition from travel management into travel risk management. Um, and what I've learned is that there is a passion that, that sort of sits within all these people that they don't necessarily often get the chance to kind of talk about. And, and this is really important. It affects us all. So I've set up this podcast mm-hmm. so people can share those stories with us. Uh, so I met Jim back in 2020. We were just reminiscing about that. We did a panel together. Um, I made him uh, do a slightly different panel that we'd done before, but it was for TVTC and it, it was great. But it was the first conference we said just after the pandemic. So it was, it was a bit weird from that perspective, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, it was, um, people were still unsure whether they were able to travel, um, whether they could attend conferences and we were still in that transition between obviously isolation or or restriction on movement. And then all of a sudden, you know, we're, we're trying to promote travel risk and get the wheels turning and gain confidence back in, in the travel risk space by trying to adopt, know a more risk-based approach because obviously throughout the pandemic the main thing the uk government especially was harnessing was the fact that you need to risk assess and that was from the prime minister all the way down across the health health sector and and across travel in in itself as well so it's been really important that by attending these conferences doing podcasts like this is, is to portray um the mechanisms the methodology the the tools the resources that you need in order to enable that com- that confidence, but to enable travel overseas, so it's really important that we attended that conference to start off with. vex to be honest, yeah, um, yeah and to get our message across. It's got the wheels turning, it's got the discussions happening, and and it's got the um the movement that we wanted to see and the travel profile to increase.
0: And look where we are today—it seems like a million miles away. So, thank you, Jim. So, um, your building looks great. I hear these are new, your new offices. So, for those that can see, and we're not on the podcast, he does look slightly like he's in a prison, but it's all really um old grey stone. So, these are your new offices. Last year you moved in.
1: Yeah. So, um, as as we've grown as a business, we needed to expand. Um, we've now got an lots room, the working space, training training department, training wing. Um, really nice environment to work in we're really keen to give a like a nice cultural feel to where we work we have quite an an open forum with regards to the the way we do business and we have an open uh, way of sharing information internally and externally as well which I think really works um, moving forward but the offices just lend itself to a nice working environment
0: yeah no they look great well we'll be down to visit you as soon as we can Okay, so we've done a little bit of kind of just chatting to begin with, because I really want you to feel comfortable in this. And I don't want you to feel like I'm firing questions at you, Jim, but now we're going to start the firing questions. So firstly, there's three questions. So um, just to to remind you, the first one is who you are and a little bit about what you do. You can spend as much time talking on each answer. The second question is that you know that this is the bit I want to get to. It's your why, you know, what, what have you done and why have you got here? And what is it that drives you to do this and to have these crazy conversations with me and other people, and to do all the things that you do, and then finally, for anybody wanting to start getting into travel risk management, to begin to understand this because it's a complex subject, what's your golden nugget of where they start? All right. So, are you ready? Always. <laughs> so, who are you, Jim, and what do you do?
1: um Yeah. So, uh, as Bex alluded to at the start, so my name is James Lawrence. I'm co-founder and director of Peregrine Risk Management. Um, i oversee the operational side of the business so it's split in two as i'm sure other businesses are but everything operational from training to intelligence to operational delivery to all our technical services all sort of sit within my remit Um, and we've also got a very large uh, risk consultancy element as well which specializes in travel risk management which we're talking about today crisis management business continuity we build travel safety programs for organizations and so on so um, we established in 2019. Um, we knew straight away that we wanted to go into travel risk management because we live in a globalised world. Um, pre-pandemic, you know, there was an array of risks and, and threats that you would face when you travel, and we knew that after the pandemic, they haven't gone anywhere. There's no furlough scheme for criminals. You know, there is a platform for people to start travelling again. But it needs to be done in a safe and secure manner. So we really focus and harness our efforts on the travel safety elements of uh, not only our business offerings, but the way we interact with clients as well to make sure, you know, they're getting our methodology and the reasons and the rationale behind why travel risk management is so important. I also feel that travel risk management is in the same space as health and safety was probably 20 years ago. You know where there was blame and claim going around everywhere. Slips, trips, and fall became the big the big issue for insurance. It's now travel. It's now security and safety, in a different guise, but overseas. So that was a that was a that's sort of who I am. Um, I'm also a, a chartered security professional, one of a of a handful in the UK. Um, I hold a master's in risk and crisis and disaster management, and in September, I haven't told anybody this, but you're now going to know. I'm gonna start my PhD in, in security response. So that's my sort of my sort of angle, um, and that's who I am.
0: Off the press here, everyone, you heard Thank this you. here first. Wow, I don't know how you're gonna possibly get that done. I <laughs> know you're more than capable, but I know how busy you are. Um, but that's, yeah, that's really exciting. Congratulations, Jim, that's cool, very cool. So now let's get onto your why. Um, I know that there'll be, um, with with everyone with this, there's always the kind of the the, re, the reason to do it, but then there's the, the passion behind it. So, tell me your story and let's see where we go.
1: Yeah, so um, obviously, um, some of those that know me that I'm I'm ex-military. Um, I left in 2009, and when I first left, um, I jumped around the African continent, the Middle East, the Far East, and I realised quite quickly that that all those areas are not it's not all about conflict, it's not all about terrorism, it's not all about all the dangerous, nasty things that people assume with certain countries around the world because they're they're low probability, high impact events that that very rarely occur. <clears throat> so I started taking a really keen interest in ways to minimize travelers' risk exposure quite quickly and um, focusing on those things that you come across more often, the, the petty crime, the illness, you know, the things that you're gonna, the road traffic accidents the cultural issues and the confrontation you may have for lack of understanding around, you know, local cultural awareness. So these are the things that I started to become very interested in. And I knew that if we could do the high probability, low impact stuff really well and do the planning phase or the risk assessment phase really well as well, we could significantly reduce the chance of anything happening to people traveling overseas. And this became really, really evident when we started to do gap analysis quite a few years ago now we've we've done many many now we've done we've probably done 30 or 40 on different organizations but what those gap analysis allowed me to do was to identify the pain points of my clients um, but also identify the vulnerabilities and ways to you know and recommendations of ways to to really get rid of those those concerns and worries that keep people up at night and that's the first question I always ask my client clients. What keeps you up at night? And usually it's around travel, not knowing where the people are, not being able to assess the risk properly, not having the right level of, of experience, knowledge, training, resource. Um, and it came quite evident that there was, there was massive gaps in travel safety. We then looked at um, how we could then build a travel safety programme and how we could do... Um, a five step approach to to a t- sort of sort of target the travel safety world and um, then we came up with a methodology of governance uh, uh, pre- preparation protection reaction and recovery and the idea is there that we target each element of the travel safety program so governance looks at policies procedures the external context of the organization um, your legal operating framework it protects the organization and provides this umbrella of how that organization wishes their their people to be looked after and how they want their travel to be conducted. We then really focused in on the planning phase and the preparation phase, which looks at the risk assessment, and I'll come on to that in a minute, the training, resource allocation, and all the other things you need to do before you travel, the protection piece whilst you're in country, so journey management, hotel security, those types of things, but then the ability to react. So we always pride ourselves when we do the risk assessment is we, we, we layer in two types of controls. Protective controls reduce likelihood, reactive controls reduce impact. So we look at really how we can layer those into that travel safety programme. And then once we get to the end, which is the recovery, is then how do we learn from our travel safety programme? How do we learn from the trips that we've been on? But also things like, how do we look after people once they come back from a trip, if they do experience an incident? And I'll give you an example. <clears throat> several several years ago, um, I had a client who had a problem with a, with a traveller in, in South America, and they had to repatriate. Unfortunately, what had happened to the traveller is they they'd done things that were outside the outside exclusions within their insurance policy, so it wasn't covered. So my client had to charter a private jet and a mental health practitioner to this country to then repatriate this person because they couldn't get them on a, on a, a commercial line. What happened was then is the ins- within the insurance process, this person got lost and it was a student. Um, and when they came back to the UK, they were lost in the system. There was no occupational health. There was no mental health and well-being support. So they didn't really close the program off. So we're very, very big on, look, you finished your trip, but it's not over yet. Let's learn. Let's look for opportunities for improvement. Let's look for near misses and so on. But also let's remember that if anybody does travel, that they may need some support when they get back to the UK. Um, this was quite evident, especially in the university sector where people have been on placements or been working overseas for quite a long time. So we built a travel safety program. We then became really, well, I became really passionate about, um, travel. I've got a great understanding of everything that ha- you know that's happening around the world, especially geopolitically. Um, I'm a big believer in understanding what we call the ground truth. Um, because you can't make risk-based decisions without having situational awareness, what's happening on the ground. So a real passion for for the area of travel safety really came to the fore. Um, When the ISO 31,030 came out, um, I was actually quite refreshed that everything that I'd been doing for years before, from sort of 2009 up until that point, for 10 years, was bang on point with regards to 30,030. Was you so, might
0: as well have written it, Jim, and he hadn't heard you hadn't
1: had you, you might as well have done. <laughs> but it's a it's a but but when that came out, it was really refreshing to see that you know, unfortunately Peregrine was in its infancy at the time, so you know we weren't really involved. But it's really refreshing to see that people are out now actually taking travel risk management to a different level. Um there's obviously spin-offs that are happening downstream with regards to the travel industry and stuff like that. But I think it's it's been really refreshing to see organisations take this seriously. You know, not knowing where your people are, not knowing how to respond to an incident is a big thing for an organisation because what we ultimately try to do and the main output of what we do is to, you know, protect the reputation of the organisation that we're looking after, but also protect the people that travel. So double-edged sword. And when we layer in legislation like the Health and Safety at Work Act 1974, there's two pillars to that that we kind of focus on one is it provides the overarching management of safety so an organization has a legal obli- obligation to provide a safe and secure environment for those working or traveling on behalf of the organization but also the traveler has the same the same responsibility to act in a safe and secure manner and what we found when we were doing these gap analysis especially was there was a massive gap in the risk assessment and what would happen is A traveller would do a risk assessment, submit it to somebody who had no training, no understanding, and they were then approving that trip. And one of the biggest, and and this is, I'll tell you my golden nugget later, I won't let you onto it now, but the biggest problem we had is the lack of knowledge to complete the risk assessment in the first place by the traveller, and then the lack of knowledge of an approver to approve that trip with no real clear escalation process within the organisation. The escalation process helps protect that organization and then it frames everything that moves forward so what training you need what mitigation what protective and reactive controls you need what do you need to do in country how do you work with third parties how do you respond to an instance so that frames everything um, and it's really important that the risk assessment piece comes before budget yeah. the risk assessment comes before you allocate a budget because if it's too risky why waste your time putting a budget against it? But also the risk assessment piece allows you to travel risk manage. How can you risk manage something that you've not assessed? And that's that's one of the biggest issues that we found um, and the biggest gaps. And, and, and the risk assessment process for travel isn't different. But what we always try and tell our, our clients is focus on three things. Your people the destination you're going to, and the activity they're gonna carry out at the other end. Because each one will have different variables and different ways of interacting with each other, and can increase or lower your risk profile. So that's kind of why I got into it. I love the subject, as you can tell.
0: When we first, well, after we'd first met Jim, and then I was introduced to you to what I've been doing with the ISO 31030 work, and I joined that group a lot later. I remember you just jumping up and down and just being like, it's exactly what we do and just being so delighted with that. And I think that's the key with thirty one oh thirty. It shouldn't be anything different than what people are doing. It's there to actually just give you some guidelines and a framework like we talk about um, to then to sort of, to, to see what you are doing against it and then to do other things. But you do now have an opportunity with um, the, the next standards that are coming from this to have more of an involvement. So you're actively involved in the new BSI group that we're looking at a standard for travel vendors in travel risk management, because really if a company is going to try and align to 31030, they need to know what their vendor supply chain looks like. And that is possibly one of the biggest gaps right alongside this communication piece Jim which you've just nailed beautifully in the conversations that you just had it's so common for companies to maybe have policies and certainly what I'm finding is they've definitely got a t policy so a travel and expense policy uh, they possibly even now have some sort of risk management policy or crisis management policy but they just don't seem to be linked in any way and often the travel team doesn't really talk to the risk crisis team and it's it's all sort of done in silos and really this kind of needs to be lifted out of that and and everyone's talking and communicating with each other in order for it to work as efficiently as possible. Um, thank you for your why, you really went there and that's what I wanted you to do, so I'm grateful. And this is what it takes for change, people. This is, this is people who are passionate and, and driving change forward. Um, we fully think that travel risk management will evolve. It's not going anywhere. Um, and over the sort of next 10 years, we expected to take the sort of same journey that disaster recovery did as it emerged and moved into business continuity. So those people that are thinking about risk management and specifically travel risk management. Now, you're ahead of the curve. And this is this is a good place to be. But ultimately, you're keeping your people safe, um, your people, your assets and your reputation and, and what could be or should be more important than that. Okay, so finally, Jim, thank you for everything you've done so far. I just want to give our listeners your golden nugget. So let's take this from a perspective of coming into travel risk management for the first time. It can feel a little bit overwhelming, be you supplier side, be you corporate side. How do you, how do you start?
1: So um, first thing is, 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 like I said, our five-step approach. The first thing we always look at is the governance. So you need a strong policy and a strong risk assessment process. Um, if something does go wrong, the first thing a judge will ask for in a court of law is your risk assessment and your policy. Um, the two bit, I've got two nuggets, if that's okay, not you just one, I'd like to share. Um, mm-hmm. The first nugget is um, the amount of organisations I've seen without a risk appetite set. Without a risk appetite set within your safety programme, you have nothing to benchmark your risk, a- risk assessment against. So it doesn't allow for a swift or streamlined escalation process within the organization. The risk appetite allows the approver to assess and benchmark against the appetite of the organization, not the individual, not that person approving the trip. It's the organization's risk appetite. And what that then does is it takes away individual risk perception and understanding because you may have one person one day who has no experience. And the next day, and I've seen this before, a professor from a, from a high-level um, Russell Group University approving. So it's going to be disparities between. The risk appetite takes that away because it's based on the organization's appetite for risk. My second nugget, which is my favourite one, is test. You can build a travel safety programme. You can put all the policies and procedures in place that you want. You can have all the technology. You can have everything you need. But if you don't test it, You'll never know if it works. You've got to provide um, reassurance to make sure your policies, your procedures work, and then you need to go back and review those policies and procedures and processes to ensure they're fit for purpose and get everybody to feed back once they come back from their trips and learn from experience and adjust and test again to make sure it's fit for purpose. The amount of organisations that I spoke to during the COVID pandemic that hadn't adjusted their crisis management plan for about five years, and when they opened it up, Joe Bloggs had moved on three years ago, it's inefficient, so test, test, test. It, that's all I would say, to make sure it's fit for purpose.
0: You literally have just taken me straight back to how I got into this, like you well, years and years and years ago, way before, when I was looking back on my career, is to think, why am I interested in this? I work for an adventure travel company, and they were incredible every year we would do a crisis test the reason we did it is because unfortunately years before that something horrendous had happened to one of their tour groups so they, and they weren't ready they didn't know what to do uh, they have media outside it was a huge it was, it was a terrible thing um and since then of course they learn and they put this crisis team in every year and i was part of that crisis team it's where this passion came from and they made it really real it makes yep. it, it until you're doing it they're just words on a piece of paper from a policies perspective aren't they and you've got to you've got to know what it feels like to be in that situation as much as you can be to then know actually what you would do and react because you'll find maybe you didn't consider that piece or this bit's come up or actually that bit went really really well um, and actually Oh, well that, those bits can kind of make it fun though no? those practices yeah, they, yeah, <laughs> that yeah, brings it all together i know that sounds lame but that is i, I, I,
1: I do a really good thing back to when, when we do crisis management training I'll, I'll give the scenario and before i allow the ceo to give their strategic or whoever the, the lead is their strategic intent of what they want to happen i take, I take them out of the game so I say, oh you're, you're on holiday off you go and you can just see everybody else go in now what do we do? But that's how you build a team. That's how you you, you build the blocks that you need and the resilience into your travel safety program. Um, and the other thing as well is you just need to train on it as well. But the amount of people that are are either approving trips or doing crisis management or acting as a lead in an organisation without any training, you know, and that that's not good enough. So I think we're in a we're in a world now to to, to impart knowledge. But once you have impart that knowledge, it's really important to test that knowledge to make sure that you're happy it's going to work
0: I couldn't agree more Jim thank you we're coming probably a little bit over our time today but I just think it's been well worth it and i so grateful for you sharing what you shared with us um, I will definitely invite you to another session in the future uh, for now this has been Bex Dedman on Talking TRM with James Lawrence from Peregrine Risk Management and we look forward to seeing you at the new episode Thank you for listening to today's podcast. Talking TRM is in association with Ascent Risk Management. If you enjoyed listening to today's podcast, please subscribe and make sure to leave a review. If you need any help with implementing an ISO standard, such as ISO 31 or 30, or if you have any questions regarding ISO, please reach out to Ascent Risk Management to talk to our expert consultants today. We can be found at www.ascent1.com. We're also on Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. And links can be found in the show description. This podcast is a Clemark Studio production and was produced by Jessica Ingalls.